Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Good morning, 11 o'clock. Give yourselves a hand. Thank you for being here today. Also, welcome those that are watching online with us this morning. We're glad that you're joining us. If this is your first week at ACF, we just want to say welcome home. We are very glad that you're here worshiping with us this morning. My name is Angela, and Pastor Brian asked if I would share this week as we are wrapping up our series called God Problems. We have a free ACF app that you can download uh, for your phones, and you'll find all the notes that I'll be using today. You, uh, there's also a Bible as a part of that app, as well as a place that you can search for any of the past sermons that you might have missed, and you can listen to those as well. So this series called God Problems, we've been digging into questions and we've had a number on the screen that we asked you to text in your questions, your God problems, things that you struggle with. And while we can't get to all of them, we have been able to get to a lot of them. And so the first week, Pastor Brian kicked it off for us by talking about the problem of God's will. How can we hear God's voice? How can we lean into his character and hear what he is saying, getting to know who he is? And then the next week, he dove into the problem of evil and suffering and pain. And because God is good, what do we do with that? And then last week, Pastor Josh gave us tools that show us that not only is this book, this Bible unique, but it's inspired, it's infallible and inerrant, and we can use this as a daily guide for our lives because we can trust it, it's reliable. And what I want you to hear and know is that these have been meant to be conversation starters. 
we are not gonna solve all of the God problems that you have in 35 minutes on a Sunday morning. Sorry to break it to you, but I'll just let you know right now. But what we want is for you to continue the conversation. Get involved in a small group. Surround yourself with people that you trust. Go out to lunch with someone today and continue the conversation so that you can dig in and ask the questions and struggle together because it's all about you meeting Jesus and you developing that personal and saving relationship with him. He wants to be known by you. And so this morning, buckle up, because we're gonna talk about the problem of God's existence. Is he even real? Does he exist? And if he, if he does, if he's real, then what do we do with that? Why does that matter? And what I want you to hear above all is that I am not here to just simply spout off information to you this morning. It is not my intent to mock someone or belittle anyone just because they don't believe what I believe. But what I'm hoping is that you are able to know that this is a safe place where we can lean into the Holy Spirit and discover what he has for us, the truth that he wants to reveal to you and teach you today. And I love that last week, Pastor Josh did set the stage and lay the foundation that God's word is true, that we can trust it, that we can use it, and that that came before that I'm here today to talk to you about God's existence. Because as a believer and as people who hold God's word as truth, we can say we believe God exists because that's where this book begins. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We believe that God exists because Psalm 14.1 tells us that only the fool says in his heart, there is no God. We believe that God exists because Paul writes this in Romans chapter 1, starting with verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who push the truth away from themselves. For the truth about God is known to them instinctively. God has put this knowledge in their hearts from the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and all that God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. The result was that their minds became dark and confused. Paul confirms to us that everyone knows that God exists, whether they believe that he does or not. But one of the questions that we had texted in asked this, how can I know that it is actually God and not just a higher power. Where is the proof that this really is what you 
call God? That is a great question. And it's one that I hope to challenge you with today. And I hope that it's one that you're able to lean in and listen as I go about today and answer that. Because again, the words of the Bible are words that I can use with other people who believe what I believe. With other people who have God's word as the same starting point, the same point of reference and perspective. But what about people who don't believe in God? What about people who don't believe that God's word is true? What about your friends, your neighbors, even your family members? How can you lean in and have a healthy conversation with them about God? How can you listen well? There's a book that I've been reading, and it's called The Problem of God. It's written by a man named Mark Clark. And I highly recommend it as a tool, as a research, again, to spend some time in that book outside of what we can share on a Sunday morning. It's a great tool, a great resource. Because honestly, if I am being truthful with you here today, and I am, I have a hard time understanding why the question of does God exist is even a question at all. But I know that not everyone has the same background that I have. But for me, I was raised in a home where my mom and dad modeled God to me. They taught me about Jesus and his Holy Spirit living inside me that I can have purpose and power. And I believed because of what they showed me through their love, through their discipline. Yes, even through their discipline. But I believed, again, because of what I saw modeled to me. I believed through faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. What is faith? It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things we cannot yet see. You see, faith is a certainty. It is an anchor that allows us to have hope regardless of what our physical eyes might see. In Christian theology, when I say that I believe in God, not only does it mean that, well, I believe he's real, I believe in his existence, but what it means is I put my entire confidence in God. I put all that I am into him. I trust him with everything. I believe that he is able, whether again, my physical eyes can see it or not. Not only do I believe in God, but I believe God. And again, my faith being in God so that when the hard times come, when decisions have to be made that are uncomfortable, when I forget and when I struggle, because my faith is in God and not in my circumstance, then I can have hope. And as I grew up, my faith grew as well. And God was able to um, develop in me that personal relationship, again, so that it became not just what I saw modeled about God, but that he grew inside of me. 
that he allowed me to have time to spend in his word, getting to know him and his voice. He surrounded me with people that I could ask questions of, that when I forgot that they could speak life into me. Because Romans tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. My life was all about faith. And then I went to college and I decided to become a biology major, science. And here is a question that we had texted in as well. It says, growing up, you are taught in school about the hypothesis of how the earth came to be and be able to provide life, but also about evolution. How can I believe both? How can I believe God created everything without discrediting scientific proof? Well, here is the cool thing that I have learned about evolution, and that is for the atheist, it is the only argument that they have against the existence of God. But what science has shown us about evolution, and we'll talk more about this in just a little bit, is that because of all of the variables that would have had to have lined up perfectly, because of the length of time that it would take for these evolutionary changes to take place, to believe in evolution would take a miracle. And I get that because miracles take faith. John Piper writes this, atheistic man uses his mind to create a worldview that nullifies the use of his mind. So here I was in my courses in biology and I was studying things and people were telling me, prove it. Show me the facts. Where is the evidence for your answer? What's the rational justification that you have? And I started to think about my faith. Well, can these two, can faith and science actually work together? Because even today we might hear things about Christianity where people say, well, it's just so simple. It's just too easy. It's, it's just faith. That's all it is. In Romans 10, we read this. Salvation that comes from trusting Christ, which is the message we preach, is already within easy reach. In fact, the scriptures say the message is close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. That's all it is. But that's just faith, right? That's just wishful thinking. That's just too good to be true. Whereas science, ha ha, science, that you can see, that you can test, that you can prove. But don't you see the beauty that faith and science don't have to be mutually exclusive, that they can work together to make sense of the evidence? A few months ago, I spoke on the importance of rest and taking a Sabbath. And what I discovered was that science confirmed what God has been telling us from the very beginning, that rest is important, that it's necessary. 
And even more recently, I'm part of a ladies' Bible study, and we have been enjoying the spiritual disciplines. And one of them is fasting. And I'll tell you, when I learned the science behind what happens to my bodies and my cells when I fast, it was amazing. It wasn't wrong for me to fast just because I felt God was calling me to it. But it also wasn't wrong for me to fast because of the physical benefits. And when I put those two together and I was able to just see the healing that was taking place in both my heart as well as my body, it was incredible. And it drew me to a place of worship to be able to see how big God really is. The fact that this God of creation who put everything together is wooing me, that he's calling me to come to him, that he pursues me. It fills me with awe. And so think about that first question that we had on the board. How do you know that this is the God of the Bible, that it's not just some higher power. Well, again, as a believer, I would say because the Bible tells me so, but I get it, not everyone believes. And so I would just simply want to lean into them and ask, what is your definition of a higher power? Now, don't worry, this is a debate that philosophers have been arguing for centuries. We are not going to figure it out in 35 minutes on a Sunday morning. I wish, but we'll see. So I would ask, you know, what is, what is your definition? Because there was a man in the 11th century named Anselm of Canterbury, and this is how he defined God. That than which a greater cannot be thought that than which a greater cannot be thought. So if you think of something that is the highest of all, if you think of something that nothing can be above, if you think of something that is the most supreme, wouldn't that be the same as saying that it's God? And like Pastor Josh gave us tools last week that we can trust and we can rely on his book, that's how I know, because the Bible says that it's one true God, the God of creation who pursues me. Even back in Paul's day, in the town of Corinth, philosophers and debaters argued this question as well. How can you know God's wisdom? How can you know that it's him speaking? How can you trust what he says? And Paul answered the Corinthians this way, He says, when we tell you this, we do not use words of human wisdom. We speak words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit's words to explain spiritual truths. But people who aren't Christians can't understand these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them because only those who have the Spirit can understand what the Spirit means. We who have the Spirit understand these things, but others can't understand us at all. How could they? For who can know what the Lord is thinking? 
Who can give him counsel? But we can understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. I am not here to convince anyone. I do not have any power. It is only God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, who can convict and reveal and teach these things to you here today. And I pray that he does. I pray that the eyes of both your heart and your mind would be open to the truth and the fact that faith and science work beautifully together. They help us understand the evidence that God provides. Because that's what it comes down to, right? Just show me the evidence and then I'll decide what I wanna do with it. Tell me about the evidence of God and then I'll make the decision for myself. Well, when I was in the army, I was in military intelligence. Oh, no jokes, all right, good, that's good. Because I loved it, I loved what I did in the army. And one of my jobs was when my unit would go to the field, uh, it was my job to determine what the enemy was gonna do uh, based on you know where were they gonna be, what kind of vehicles or weapon systems did they have, where were they gonna go, what courses of action were they gonna take. And then based on the evidence, based on what I knew to be true, then I could help my commander make recommendations. Determining were there factors like daylight or terrain or weather that were either gonna increase or decrease the enemy's effectiveness and capabilities. And then based on the evidence, then I informed my commander so that he could make decisions to help us gain the victory so that he could lead well. And so again, if, if you want to believe in God, what evidence is out there? Well, there are a number of arguments and evidences uh, that are out there. You're in luck, but you're also in luck because I'm only gonna talk about three of them today. So the first one that I wanna mention is called the evidence of morality. And this is one that Pastor Brian just briefly men mentioned a couple weeks ago when he was speaking on uh, the problem of evil and of suffering. And basically the evidence of morality simply put says that when you look at people, there are rules to be followed, that there is a moral code, there's right and there's wrong. And we believe that this moral law that if there is a moral law, that it had to have a law giver, there had to be a law giver. And as Christians, we believe that they come from God because Romans 2.15 tells us that God has written his law on the hearts of everyone, whether they believe he has or not. But skeptics push against this because they say, well, just because what you think is right it doesn't mean that it's right for everybody. They say that morals are a product of society, of culture, that they're based on evolution. But honestly, if you accept this relative understanding of morality, then you can't get mad if somebody steals and takes something that is yours, because it wasn't wrong for them. Even if you go to a different culture that says that killing innocent people is bad, you can't get upset 
Because if there's no moral law, then how can you be the one that decides what is just and what is unjust? Mr. Clark writes it this way in his book. He says it doesn't make sense unless there really is an objective measure to compare our lives against. That's the point of moral law. We do believe in right and wrong. We believe hurting a child is wrong. We believe that there is a thing called justice that tells us mercy is better than hate, that loyalty is a virtue, and that there is evil in the world. All of these convictions give meaning to our lives, but if there is not absolute right and wrong, all of them go away. They are but a mirage, meaningless, weightless. Morals are not a matter of mere taste or opinion any more than math equations. Just because we may not get the right answer doesn't change the fact that there really is a right answer. And so that's the evidence of morality. The second one that we're gonna take a look at this morning is called the evidence of cosmology. And basically what that says that everything that begins to exist, you, me, everything, had something act upon it, had its beginning from something that was outside of it, something that pre-existed, something that always was, that caused it to come into being. Now, before the 1900s, this one was a pretty easy one to refute because one could argue that, well, you don't need God to start the universe because the universe itself is that pre-existent, eternal thing. And then came science. And in 1929, a man by the name of Edwin Hubble discovered that galaxies were actually moving away from each other. And it was later discovered that because of this phenomenon, that stars and planets and matter itself all had a common point of origin. Which brings us back to the original question that if something began to exist, what caused it? It had to be something from outside. So in order to begin this natural universe, this material, universe, something that was supernatural, something that was eternal, must have acted upon it. And isn't that what the Bible has alleged all along? In the beginning, God. The evidence of cosmology. And so the final argument that I'll present to you this morning is called the evidence of design. And this relates back to our evolution question. That again, because of certain details in our universe, because of the complexity of the cosmos, that there must be a designer. Think about when you read a really good book. Do you sit there and think, wow, that's amazing how that's always been. I'm so glad that those pages just fit together, that they randomly appeared, that they made sense. No, you know that there was an author who came up with a plot and then developed characters and so on and so on. And how much bigger is our universe than a good book? 
There's something called the anthropic principle, and that suggests that our universe is finely tuned even for our existence alone. Just the fact that we are here could not have happened by chance. That again, because of the many variables that would have had to have lined up perfectly, that even if one of them was off by just the slightest of minutia, that we would not exist. Another question that was texted in simply asked this, what's my worth? Hmm, wow. Have you ever been there? Do I matter? Have you ever stopped to think about the fact that our solar system is placed perfectly on an arm of the Milky Way galaxy? That our sun is the exact right distance away for us to sustain life? And then listen to the words, words of Psalm 37. The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will not fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Do you see that this mighty God of the universe who created billions upon billions of galaxies, that he delights in the detail of your life and that he holds you by his hand. I would encourage you today to go home and look for videos by a man named Louis Giglio. And when he speaks about the greatness of God, you will be blown away by other examples that he gives on this fine tuning of our universe. And even if you look at yourself and just one simple part of us, our eye, that because of its intricacy, because of its complexity, even just our eye alone cannot be explained away by evolution. Pastor Brian told us on Easter that the evidence for God is seen in a resurrected life. How do I see God? When I go for a walk, I just marvel at the majesty of his mountains. How do I hear God? When my kids laugh at a really good joke. How do I feel God? When my husband comes home from work and simply gives me a hug. Jesus says this in Revelation. Look, here I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal as friends. Does God exist? Absolutely. And he promises that when I seek him, he will be found. And that when I ask, that he will answer. He wants to be known, but he's not going to force himself on us to believe in him. But he does provide the proof of his existence so that we can respond to him, so that we can love him because he first loved us. And the last question that we're gonna answer today says this, my God problem is trying to understand my purpose. 
If I think too hard about it, I start wondering what the point of our existence is. I start to wonder if it's all worth it. Is it really worth it to be a good person, to pray, to raise my son in Christ? Is it worth it? Regardless of doing everything right, of bending over backwards, of getting knocked down over and over and over again, is it worth it? Well, I hope that after listening today that you can hear that gentle whisper of God answer, yes, yes, it's worth it. That your purpose, that my purpose is to worship God, to enjoy him, to love him with all of our hearts and all of our minds. Pope John Paul II said this, Faith and reason are like two wings on which the human spirit rises to the contemplation of truth. And God has placed in the human heart a desire to know the truth, in a word, to know himself. So that by knowing and loving God, men and women may also come to the fullness of truth about themselves. When we seek God in everything that we do, when we put him first in our lives, that is where we find our place. That he is the reason that we have purpose and that nothing is ever wasted when we put him first. That our life has meaning, our life has value simply because God exists. Please bow your heads and pray with me. God, I just thank you so much that by your word, the heavens were made, and by your breath, the stars took their place. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that convicts and teaches and reveals your truth to us. God, I just ask today that you would help each of us to see the evidence that you have provided with both our hearts and our minds, that we would come to that place of awe, that place of humility, knowing that you love us. I thank you so much, God, for your son, Jesus, that you sent to pay the ultimate sacrifice once and for all, and that because of his death and resurrection that we can live free, that we can live with joy. God, I just thank you so much that you are here today in this place, and it is in the holy and precious name of Jesus that I pray, amen.